Well, last week we began in 1 John and we began with Christmas, slightly early, sorry. Um, It's still not December, but we're going to do the same thing again. So last week, 1 John chapter 1 verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it. That's Christmas. We've seen him, the baby, the man, Jesus in the flesh. And this week, the reading we've just heard is all about the light. Chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So the the baby was a messenger, and this was the message, the, the Christmas message. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Light has broken into the darkness. That is the claim of a a hundred Christmas carols, and that's why we have Christmas lights and and everything like that, even though the Connect Corner has its fake uh, blazing log fire over there to make us feel better at Christmas time. Um, And Marcella described it as a beautiful encounter with God that pushed her from the dark. Uh, So what we're going to do this morning is look at what it means for God to be light, what it means to be pushed from the darkness and encounter God. And I've got um, three headings for us this morning. Uh, God is light, so walk in the light. And third, step back into the light. So let's start with God is light, verse 5. And last week we said that Christianity is inescapably a revealed religion. It's not a religion that you work out for yourself. It's a religion that God has revealed to us. And that is a a light thing. Jesus, he came into this world from outside to switch the lights on and show us the truth, to reveal reality to us. Well, this week is is more of what the, the arrival of the light means for darkness. So verse 5 there on page 1225, this is the message. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So uh, Jesus came from outside to switch the lights on and to put an end to darkness. So this week I have something else that um, Christianity is inescapably like this. Um, It's obvious. I think it shouldn't be a surprise. I don't think it will be. It was certainly there in the the baptism and what we said uh, about that earlier. But I think it is something that you're not meant to talk about at the moment, perhaps. So Christianity is a revealed religion, we said last week. It is also a sin religion. Christianity is a sin religion, if you know what I mean. Um, You can see that connection as you follow the verses down. So 1 verse 5, God is light, which means that walking with him means walking in the light. Verse 6, verse 7, which is a place where he purifies us from all sin. And then sin appears, the word sin appears in every single verse for the remainder of our reading. And you get a, a picture of what it means that God is light and what's involved in walking in the light. It's about confession of sin, forgiveness of sin. It's so that you will not sin. And it's about the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. That is all part of the good news of Christmas. It is that God is light. And um, 
since I've been at All Souls, so um, last two, three years, I've heard quite a few of our preachers give illustrations about light. Um, and I said at 9.30, and no one understood what I meant, but all of them have been um, sort of towny illustrations, uh, if I can put it like that. Now, um, no one knew what it meant, I think, because you're all townies. Uh, and that's why. So, um, so where I grew up, um, out in the, the middle of nowhere in the countryside, um, we, we, we looked down on townies, people who lived in towns and you know, didn't know, uh, were scared of sheep and that sort of thing. Um, and, um, and so most of the illustrations about light that I've heard here have been about how awful the darkness is and how when you, you, you go on holiday somewhere rural and, and you open the door and you can't see they haven't put the street lights on, and there aren't any, and you know, and you get lost, and you fall in the ditch. That sort of um, so that the light is wonderful. That's right. Uh, light is wonderful. Uh, it is by the light that we see uh, the wonder of God's creation. It's by the light you see and find the people who you love. Um, but speaking, um, and obviously, I've been a townie now for thirty years. I really am a townie. My children certainly are. But um, but. Those in the country, we do put in streetlights for townies, um, and, and we do it not just to be nice. Um, we do it because we hope that you will transform your behavior, um, in that we hope if we put in streetlights that you won't keep driving your car into my barn, uh, or you won't, um, you won't keep tripping over my gate and ripping off the hinges. Um, light does both of those things. Light reveals and enables you to see where you are, but light also brings transformation, which is what we're being, what we're being told about here, to walk in the light. And um, Jesus, he is the friend of sinners, we're told. That is because he is the doctor for those who know that they have a sickness called sin. He is the lamb who came to take away the sin of the world. That's what I mean when I say Christianity is a sin religion. I mean that sin is the problem that Christianity sets out to fix. There are um, other religions that are essentially about self-improvement of the good uh, or enlightenment in the sort of sense of an inner light growing and shining or um, principally about education as we learn how to be our true self and be better people. And, and all of those elements, to a degree, are present in Christianity. But first, and before that, it is rescue from sin. It is forgiveness of sinful people. It is salvation from sin. So in our, our baptism, we washed and we buried before we welcomed and we prayed for. Uh, Christianity is a sin religion. And that is rooted in this extraordinary claim in verse 5 about God. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Isn't that what makes God good and safe and wonderful? I think we're so used to uh, everybody else having darkness in that so we're used to politicians being a mixture of good and bad we're used to leaders all leaders including church leaders being darkness as well as light and we're so used to our own hearts where where light and darkness seem to chase each other around in circles but God he is not like that God is entirely truthful all of the time without even a shadow of a lie He is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He is entirely fair and entirely kind 
and entirely pure, and he never cheats, and he never shows favoritism, and he is never prejudiced. The, the God revealed in Jesus has nothing to hide. He, he is light all the way through. God never sins. He is the opposite of sin. And actually, this is the, the, the sharpest point. This is the thing that we're not supposed to talk about anymore, maybe. But God, he is anti-sin. He's, he's opposed to it. His son came to destroy it. And I'm, I'm, I'm laboring that point because um, there's been a lot of talk in the Church of England recently that would make you think the opposite, actually. And that would um, take 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 as the starting point. So you just need to turn one page to see 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Um, would take 4, verse 8 as the starting point rather than 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. So 4, verse 8 says, God is love. Uh, rather than God is light in 1 verse 5. And the, the majority view in the Church of England now seems to be that, well, God is love, uh, and we can define, therefore, what God is and how he feels and what he wants us to do by the way that we have come to understand love. And the, the slogans in our culture, there'll be things like, love is love. So in everything you do that, that you feel loving about must be love. Uh, anything done in love is good, or love wins. And all of that, because God is love, uh, is what he wants. And that has all been done particularly in the context of a very painful discussion for same-sex attracted people. Um, and uh, our, for it, within our church, that would be painful right across uh, the different groups uh, and People who are in leadership positions here, uh, we're talking about our brothers and sisters who are here, just as that discussion has been painful, I'm sure, within all of our families and all of our friendship groups. Um, our culture has redefined the place of same-sex sex, and many in the Church of England want to do the same. Um, but I'm not proposing this morning to talk about sex. Uh, we'd be talking about that, we would have to talk about that if... The Church of England had said, um, okay, we used to think that same-sex sex was sinful and we've changed our mind. And let's change the doctrine so that now we can say that it is good. Then we would need to talk about that. But that isn't actually what's been said. Uh, the Church of England has said we're not changing the doctrine and actually has said that the proper place for sex is still within a marriage between a man and a woman for life only. Uh, instead of changing that, they've decided to change what it means to love instead, what it means for God to be love. If God is love, then maybe we can just drop all the talk about sin entirely and talk about love instead, um, which is a problem because the Bible says that God is light more often than it says that God is love. That comes more frequently. And in 1 John, he says both, within three chapters. God is love and God is light. So we need to be able to read the two together and make sense of them and make sense of our good God and how he has revealed himself. Um, so Christmas, according to John's letter, is about sin. 
The, the good news is good news because of something it says about sin. God's love is loving because of something he has done about our sin. Uh, maybe just look at chapter 3, verse 5, which uh, really is inescapably Christmas, whether it's December or not. Chapter 3, verse 5, you know that he appeared. Why did Jesus come? So that he might take away our sins. And what was his goal? Well, in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And again, both uh, Juan and Marcella spoke about this. Juan said uh, his decision had been one to walk with Jesus. And that Jesus, he was able to transform, said transform my character, mold my behavior, and set me free from sin. Uh, And one John agrees, it's just the logic of walking with that kind of God. So, Point one, God is light. Consequence, obviously, is that we should walk in that light. If Jesus came to take away sin and you want to walk with him, that is going to have consequences for our sin. Um, Come back to chapter one. John is a a very challenging writer. I think most of us prefer to live in a a slightly blurry world, whereas John is very, very binary uh, in most of his writing. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Um, He's saying that, I don't know what it would be for you, if you think of my selfishness or my pride, um, that doesn't find any echo in Jesus at all, any echo in God at all. So if I claim that I am walking with him, he's my Lord, I'm walking with him, and yet I live like that, well, I'm deceiving myself and I'm lying because he is nothing like that. And uh, verse 7, there is the, the wonderful offer. Here is the light in the darkness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, well, then we have fellowship and we have fellowship with one another as we uh, stumble our way into the light together and try and live this way together. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And I'm sorry to labor this, particularly for those who are not remotely interested in what's going on in the Church of England, those who are visitors or uh, haven't been following it. But I just want to show you that in 1 John, it's not open to us how we define what it means to walk in the light. That's not something that John has left for us to work, walk, work out. Uh, it's tied to sin very, very tightly, and God's nature is. And uh, that happens in two positive ways. So here is a verse from chapter 2. Uh, it says, we know that we've come to know him, know God, if we keep his commands. That whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So two positive elements there that enable us to know what he means. Um, Jesus taught us. He told us how to live in the light. God has given us commands. Jesus has given us commands. And if you say that you want to walk in his light, then obedience is part of that. Obedience to what he has said but also the, the life of Jesus. This is defined as the things that Jesus said, but also the way that Jesus lived, must live as Jesus did. So every time 
that I want to say to myself that my selfishness is okay, maybe that's all right, just part of living in the blurry world. I, I run into the command of Jesus not to do that and the life of Jesus, that he never, ever did that and there's no way around. Um, it's also defined negatively. So that's um, just over the page and slightly further down. We said last week that, that 1 John is not written into a vacuum. Um, we said it was written to a church that is in serious difficulty. And in fact, you can see that on that same page. If you were to look at verse 26 of chapter 2, you'll see that there are people trying to lead them astray. There are people, verse 19, who, who used to be part of their church and went out from them. Uh, verse 27, we begin seeing some of what they claim. They claim a special anointing to be able to teach you how to live. And actually... Um, it seems to be threaded through 1 John. The things that 1 John addresses are in relationship with the claims that these people who are trying to lead them astray are saying. Which means these verses I've got on the screen now, 2 verse 15, verse 16, that these false teachers, they're saying something about the world and the fact that you can carry on as a Christian living in the ways that make sense to everyone else in the world. It's probably linked. If you remember last week, they don't think that Jesus came in flesh. They don't think he really lived as a human being in the world in the kind of way that we have to. So there's probably something related there that they think actually allows us uh, to fit in with the world. And John says, do not love the world. And actually everything in the world, and he goes right to our desires and what we want, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that comes not from the Father, but from the world. And probably first on his list of what the world wants is money in 1 John. Um, There seems to be a big thread of the wealthy in the church who are not willing to show practical love to those in the church who are in need. They don't love their brothers and sisters because they want what the world wants. Um, But it's broader than that. Uh, We can tell what he means by walking the light. It's about the commands, it's about the life of Jesus, and it's about uh, stepping away from what the world wants and loves. And actually, um, John writes in circles. So all the way through the letter, I put this slide up um, last week at 11.30. There are three ways that you can know that you know God. And they all relate to each other. We know if we keep his commands. That's obedience. We know because we love each other. Uh, It's it's how we know because we love our brothers and sisters. And we know because of what we believe about Jesus, that he is the son of God. He came in the flesh. So that's we know because of our belief and our doctrine. And those three in 1 John, um, they're not multiple choice. Uh, It's not sort of any one of these three will do. Uh, It's not that any one of them can rule out or redefine the others. They are a connected whole. And I just want to show you that towards the end of the letter. Um, Here is a summary of the letter that ties all these things together. So again, it's about Christmas. Uh, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ Uh, is born of God. So it's about um, Jesus coming as the Son of God in flesh. If you believe that, believe in that birth, uh, then you will love the Father for sending him, and you will love Jesus, his child. Uh, That's the doctrine test. Uh, We know because we believe. But more than that, that belief 
actually turns us into his children. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It makes you his child, which means something quite profound about all the other people sitting around you, if they believe in Jesus as well. It means that they also have been born of God and are also sons and daughters of the Father, um, which generates everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Um, I think most of us would know that if, you know, if, if Jesus walked in this morning, we'd try and be nice to him, uh, and that would be an important thing to do. But actually sat around us, uh, gathered here in this building, brothers and sisters, children of God's, uh, who we are to love. But then how should we love each other? Do we get to make that up? Well, no. This is how we know that we love the children of God's. It's by loving God and carrying out his commands. So he has defined for us how we are to love uh, the other children of God. Uh, It's his commands. And it, it doesn't matter if you say God is love or that you love God, because in fact, this is love for God. Verse three, it is to keep his commands. Um, and his commands are not burdensome. And if we had time, uh, maybe we need to come back to this. If we had time, I think that is really the core issue in the Church of England at the moment. Uh, in fact, it's explicitly there in what the bishops have said in the document they published recently, um, that, that, that we've sort of got to redefine this because it is too heavy and too burdensome. It's too much to ask anyone to live by these commands of Jesus. So we've got to relax them. Um, John just thinks that is not true. His commands are good. Keeping them is part of our love for him. And because he is good and he is light, obeying them is the right way to live. It's the best way to live. It's the way that is good for us. Um, But... Uh, it does, it can feel burdensome, can't it? And I wonder, even as I'm speaking, um, whether a particular burden is settling, the burden of the sense that I have not kept them. Maybe I don't love God. Uh, maybe I haven't walked in his light. Certainly the Bible says that that is what we're like. We, uh, I fail, and the Bible says that we all do, however much uh, you appear and look nice uh, and well-behaved to me, or maybe the person next to you does to you. So come back to chapter 1, and uh, let's go to our third point, which is about what I should do when I don't live God's way, when I don't walk in the light. So uh, verse 8, if I claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, the the light uh, of God's, is also light that enables me to see myself by. Uh, I'm not just seeing him clearly. I'm not just seeing the road, if you like, and how I should live. I'm also seeing clearly what I am really like. Uh, Light to see myself and light to see my saviour. And he then describes in verse 8, verse 9, verse 10... Uh, the sort of wonderful circle of the Christian life. So um, I, I see that he is light, and I see that he has forgiven me, uh, and I, I decide I am never going to sin again. If that is what he is like, 
Uh, if that is what sin is, if that's what he's like, if he's been so kind to me, I'm never going to sin again. And then I, then I do. Uh, then I do. And the light shines on me and my sin. And I realize what I've done. And I, at that point, can step back into the light. Step back into the light where I'm exposed. And I can confess. And I can say sorry. And I can ask for him to restore me. And I realize what God is like. And I realize what he's done for me. And I decide I'm never going to sin again. And then I do. And I step back into the light and I confess. That's the, that's the cycle, the wonderful cycle of the normal Christian life. Just occasionally you meet someone who thinks it's only them. Uh, or thinks somehow they're the worst Christian that's ever lived. Um, it's the person who says they've never sinned who is deceiving themselves. And this um, crisis in the Church of England, it's having, I think, bad effects on, on everyone. Um, so those who want to make a change in the church, um, they, they hear us constantly being judgmental. They hear us you know, just saying, you're wrong and don't. Um, and in response, they've begun to sort of claim that sin doesn't really exist at all. Uh, and to dilute all the wonderful stuff about forgiveness and repentance and change. But it also has bad effects on us. So in the sort of the battle for truth, um, we maybe become genuinely judgmental or maybe uh, worse, begin thinking, as we're accused of, that you know we really are the purer people. Maybe we are more holy. Maybe we're better. Um, and that then is the, the claim in verse 8, isn't it? And verse 10, if I claim I am without sin, well, I'm a liar, I am deceived, and I'm calling God a liar as well. In fact, if Christianity is a sin religion, and uh, you're here today and you don't think that you're a sinner, then really there is nothing in Christianity for you at all. Uh, If you're unwilling to come to Jesus and be changed, and unwilling to come to Jesus in confession and be forgiven then there's nothing here. But if you are willing, then there is everything here. And just very quickly, verse 9, so we step into the darkness each time uh, we step back into the light. Uh, The authentic Christian life is confession, followed by total confidence that we are forgiven. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's not that God might let us off because he's a bit biased towards us, uh, or he's feeling nice. Remember, God is entirely light, always fair, never prejudiced. So if he forgives us, it will be an entirely truthful, just, and right forgiveness. In fact, because of the death of his son, he must forgive us, because that is now the good and right thing to do. He also appoints a, a barrister for us, 2 verse 1. don't know how you feel about barristers. Some of you are barristers and um, you know, occupy, spend your time in the law courts. The rest of us spend our time trying to keep out of them. You know, yes, I'll pay that ridiculous parking fine if it means I don't have to. But here is a barrister, uh, 2 verse 1, the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Uh, so there is Jesus who is entirely right, entirely good and holy all of the time. And he will come and stand next to you and plead your case with the father as the scary barrister. Defend you. Explain why, 2 verse 2, 
his death as the lamb that takes away sin, as the one on whom we're transferred all of our guilt and all of God's anger and all of the payment. It's all been paid. And so the barrister stands and argues. And because God is faithful and just, he forgives us each time. See, the the whole project of diluting sin and sort of removing it out of Christianity or not talking about it, um, it, it attacks confession, clearly, and it attacks holy living, clearly, but actually it, it, it also attacks our confidence. We know that we know the Father because we love him, we believe in him, we obey him, and we know that we are forgiven because we confess, we step into the light, and we know that his forgiveness of us is faithful and just. In fact, both the two weeks we've had have been about taking Jesus out of Christianity. You take out the revelation where Jesus is the one who will tell us what is true. And this week, you can take out the the mission of Jesus, which was to die and to defeat sin and to rescue us from it. Marcella said, God is everything. And I'm so glad I met him. And Juan invited us, a bit like Luke, on the, um, I don't know which corner it was, but just there, down the road. Uh, will you give your heart, your mind, yourself to Jesus? I'm going to pray that we would do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus. Thank you that in a, a world of darkness, he is not um, here to help us be our true selves, but he is here to reveal what you are like and to help us be like you. Uh, to be the people as you created us to be, that you would save us, restore us, forgive us, transform us, that we would walk in the light with you. And thank you for the daily uh, knowledge that we confess and that you hear us, that you forgive us, that you will have us, and that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. And so we come to you in confident trust, our Lord and our God. Amen.